are listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry, please visit EnduringWord.com. Here we go. So welcome. Once again, in case you're just joining, I'm Pastor Bill Walden. I live in Napa, California, pastor at Calvary Chapel there, Pastor John Bonner here at the Bible Institute in Cajamarca, Peru. So I asked John to just share for a few minutes about what goes on here, and then I will start with my uh, short message, kind of the, the the main topic of what we're going to talk about for a little bit, and then we're going to get to your questions. So Pastor John, I want to share with our audience what you do here, what, what happens? I'm delighted to, and thank you for inviting me. Yes, Bill. absolutely. And thank you, Pastor David, for allowing me to participate in this uh, wonderful program. My wife, Pilar, and I have been here in Peru for 23 years, and in 1999, we started Calvary Chapel Bible College of Peru, and so uh, the Lord has blessed us over these past years, seeing many generations of uh, students come through and graduating and going on to start churches, uh, serving the Lord as missionaries and Sunday school as teachers and in different ways. And so uh, I've been blessed to be able to uh, to do what the Lord has called us to do and, and just to see how he's used us. We send missionaries all over the world. We're about to send a missionary, Kayla, to uh, the Middle East. And so we're excited about that. And so that's our next exciting venture. I was here in 2020 when the pandemic hit. I had been here a few times. This is my sixth trip uh, to, the, to the campus. But um, I know a lot of churches kind of had to, to reorganize their outreach. And so Pastor John wisely started looking into video ministry. And he has... He, the Lord through him, has developed uh, teaching a lot of classes online. When the school was closed, uh, the learning continued, the teaching continued. Uh, can you share with them about your history of the church class? It's coming up. Oh, this yes. is really exciting. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, church history uh, will be starting on Monday night, from Monday and Tuesday evenings every week for the next 10 weeks. And it is in Spanish. And so if you uh, would like to invite your Spanish-speaking friends, that would be wonderful. So far, we have 135 students uh, enrolled in the class uh, from 15 different countries throughout Latin America. So we're really excited about that. That's amazing. (laughs) So, Okay, well, um, we're going to get started. You know that Pastor David usually opens with either a question that wasn't answered previously or just something that's on his heart. I, I watched his video from last week. Uh, he mentioned at the end of the video that he had a surprise, but he wasn't going to tell you. So we hope that you're not disappointed. We, we are the surprise. David's, as I said, traveling over the Atlantic right now, but he asked me to fill in. And so one of the thing that's been one of the things that's been on my heart recently as a pastor, you know, uh, the pastoral ministry, um, I've been involved over 30 years, Pastor John, I think longer. Uh, it's really people heavy. In other words, we really deal with people a lot. And one of the things, sadly, that happens with people, with all of us, is that we have disagreements. And disagreements aren't bad. Disagreements are okay. But sometimes disagreements turn into conflict. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is uh, hard feelings. uh, There is name calling. There's misunderstanding. Uh, People sometimes lose their temper. Uh, They just, it just turns into a very ugly situation. And feelings are hurt, you know, and things are said. And then, and then afterwards, sometimes we just don't know how to deal with that situation. Uh, the result of that can be a number of things. Um, we might stay in the church, but sit on the other side of the church, mm-hmm. <laughs> avoid people. Mm-hmm. Uh, with social media, now we might find ourselves 
uh, certainly not wanting to engage with someone with whom we have entered into conflict. And once again, I'm not talking just about disagreement, but, you know, there, it got heated a bit. You know, there's hurt feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people will leave a church over such a thing. Um, sometimes we respond in a sinful way. We might mm-hmm. gossip or they might gossip about us or, uh, you know, in a very kind of sanctimonious way, they might ask others to pray for us because we said this or we did that or or even our mind just wanders. The Bible talks about the, the darts of the enemy, you know, so sometimes those thoughts come, you know, from the pit mm-hmm. and we think, oh, boy, my reputation is probably spoiled and. So a lot of a lot of emotions. There's a lot of layers to this thing about when we when disagreement goes to the point of conflict, and we feel like we can't enter back into any kind of relationship with someone. Not, not, the Lord has given us uh, methods mm-hmm. and commands mm-hmm. about this. So the first thing I, mean, I just want to share two passages with you today. I'm going to invite Pastor John to make some comments as well. Then we'll begin to take your questions. Um, In in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and he says this, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let me read that again. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, the Apostle Paul doesn't say endeavoring to create unity, because as Christians, we are, are organically and supernaturally linked together one body in Christ. So we have unity. What he is strongly exhorting the Christians to do is to keep that unity. And let me substitute some, some other words, if I may. Guard the unity, maintain the unity, protect the unity, practice the unity, desire the unity. And I, I was chatting with, uh, this is really funny, I think. I was chatting with a four-square pastor one time, and he said, endeavoring is a sweat word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes work. It takes a lot of work. So Paul tells the the Ephesians in Ephesus there, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So let me substitute some other verbs in there. Try hard to keep the unity. Make it your aim to keep the unity. Be deliberate about keeping the unity. Make every effort to keep the unity. I don't know if you know any other strive. Strive to keep the unity. Mm -hmm. There is a holy striving that we can do. And so... What keeps us then, you know, disagreement has gone from, we've gone from disagreement to conflict. Now there's hurt feelings because in a moment of, you know, anger or seeming insult or being misunderstood, things were said, things were done. Now there's hurt feelings. Now people are kind of separated. Now we're responding to the emotion. And that's a strong, those are strong, strong emotions, really strong emotions. Those emotions can keep us from wanting to try to reconcile with a brother or a sister. And so what I'm, I'm sure you've seen it many times, Pastor John, mm-hmm. our emotions keep us from following through on this commandment. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those very, very hard things. We are emotional creatures. The mm-hmm. Lord has made us this way. And I think he allows us many times to go through conflicts with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. You know, as I was thinking as you were talking about conflicts in the church, 
somebody stated one time, I really like what they said. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you were going to say that. No, go ahead, go ahead. Ministry would be wonderful if it weren't for the people. So. <laughs> Church would be great if it wasn't for the people. Uh -huh. Whenever there's people, there's going to be disagreement. And disagreement right. is okay. Mm -hmm. Disagreement doesn't mean that unity is broken. Mm -hmm. But conflict is when unity begins to splinter. Mm -hmm. And so how do I, how do you, how do we endeavor? How do we, how do we say to ourselves, I really want to work at reconciling with my brother or sister when we have a certain level of fear that things might go bad. We don't want to enter back into that hurtful relationship again. Words were said. Feelings were hurt. Um, understanding. Sometimes there's accusations. Um, one thing that I've seen happen is uh, there's a proverb. It says the heart knows its own bitterness and no one shares its joy. So nobody can know how I feel except God and me. My heart knows when it feels sad. My heart knows when it feels joyful. But other people can misread us and even assign kind of a guilt or ill motives to us. And they misunderstand us. You know, maybe we didn't respond to them the way that they had hoped. And so they, they, they don't consider maybe that we have a headache that day and we're just kind of struggling. They consider it like, oh, you're rejecting me. You don't like me. You don't love me. And it's so easy for us to miscalculate and misinterpret people's responses. One thing leads to another. Words are said, you don't like me. What, what, what made you think that? And then, you know, the accusations start and, and these things happen. And it's, it's really, really tragic. So we are called to protect. We are called to strive to protect, to maintain that unity. But one of the things that keeps us from doing that, I think, is we're afraid if we get back into that face-to-face -face with that person that we need to reconcile with, what if it happens again? We just can't imagine, how is this problem going to be healed? Mm -hmm. They said this, I said that, I regret that I said that. They owe me an apology, I owe them an apology. What if I apologize and they don't forgive me? And it just gets very, very complicated. So... And that's just human experience. I think any one of us, you know, who's felt that we're in conflict would agree with that. You know, I've been misunderstood. I'm sure Pastor John has. Um, so I think the first part of conflict resolution, as far as I can see, understand is twofold. Understand first that God commands us to do it. We, we are not invited to maintain the unity in the spirit, in the spirit if we feel like it. Or when we finally see some sign of evidence that maybe that other person's tired. Oh, it's safe to go back into the water. You know, that kind of thing. We are called to really be determined and deliberate about being willing to do the work. And it's, it's a sweat word, as that Foursquare pastor said. Mm -hmm. I need to be able to say to myself when somebody hurts my feelings, I have these emotions, I have these thoughts, I have these fears. But I need to be willing to do whatever it takes. It says in Romans, as much as lies within me, live at peace with all men. So I can only do my part. As I try to do my part, it's going to take faith. Mm -hmm. I need to first of all believe that this is a, a command. And then I need to step back into that. I might think it feels like a, a boxing ring. You know, I need to be willing to step back into the boxing ring. And, but maybe maybe the boxing ring has turned into a garden, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't know it yet. But I need to be willing to do whatever it takes to step back into that relationship 
and not try to practice self-preservation or protection or anything like that. Because Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you need to lay down your life and pick up your cross. So the natural things for us to do is avoid it. Uh, hope it goes away. Mm-hmm. Hope God speaks to the other person and changes them. <laughs> uh, pray that God shows the other person that we were right and they were wrong. You know, these are the things that we think about. And uh, they're difficult things. So any, any thoughts as we continue on? I think as in most endeavors as believers, it requires an element of trust. It requires an element of humility. It requires an element of uh, of faith, uh, trusting that God has been working with this other person and that he'll give you the words. And so, um, yeah, there's a big risk involved and nobody wants to get hurt. No. And, um, but um, being obedient to the Lord, we must many times put ourselves in that situation and say, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm going to take this step of faith and, and talk to this person again. Yeah. That first part, endeavoring to keep the unity in the, of the spirit, we just need to be willing to do the work. I don't see that God asks us to figure it all out. He is not saying be willing to do the work when I give you a guarantee that the other person will change or be willing to do the work uh, when you get the perfect plan. I don't see that. It just says endeavoring, make the effort, be deliberate about it. Do it. Do it. Like uh, Nike says, right? (laughs) Just do it. (laughs) The second part uh, of this that I want to share, and then we'll begin to take your questions Um, I remember uh, reading Matthew chapter 14 when Jesus and the disciples had had a very long day of ministry. He fed the multitudes, uh, the fish and the loaves, and he tells his disciples to get in the boat and to row across the Sea of Galilee. And that the evening was falling upon them, so it was starting to get dark. It says then that he went up onto the mountain to pray. And about the fourth watch of the night, which according to ancient uh, timetables, if you will, was between three and six in the morning. So they had been rowing, it says in Matthew, contrary to the wind all night long. And then a storm arose. And then Jesus comes walking to them on the water. Now I thought about this. The connection in my mind is this. They had a very good reason to be afraid. They were seasoned, some of them were seasoned fishermen. Uh, they At least some of them probably had seen this before. Even if they hadn't, to be fearful for your life, something obvious is happening. Mm -hmm. I was talking to Pastor John before we started here, and occasionally there are waves, and we both saw a video from the early 90s, waves can be as high as 10 feet high on the Sea of Galilee. It's rare, but it happens. Mm -hmm. So their fear was legitimate. They weren't just overly sensitive men or something like that that were afraid of their own shadow or something like that. They had a legitimate fear. And I thought about, you know, sometimes when we're in conflict with people, we've gone, it feels like we've been overwhelmed by 10-foot waves mm-hmm. pushing us back down again. And we don't want to go back into that. What if it blows up in our face again? We don't, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. So they have a legitimate fear. And they see Jesus walking on the water. And then, and they knew Jesus well, but they thought he was a ghost. <laughs> they knew him well, but they didn't know him that well. They they had never seen him that way. He was coming to their rescue in a way that they didn't recognize. And there's a conversation with Peter and so on and so forth. But the point that I want to make, let me me, uh, see here. 
Jesus, it says, but immediately Jesus, this is Matthew 14, 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. I think often it's, it's maybe insightful for us to consider what Jesus didn't say also. He didn't say, be of good cheer, you have a strong boat. <laughs> he didn't say, be of good cheer, you're seasoned fishermen. He didn't say, be of good cheer, the storm is going to pass. He didn't say any of those things to bring them peace or to bring them, you know, calmness. He said, be of good cheer, it's me. And as I understand it, he didn't even correct them for being afraid. Any thoughts? I'm sure you've taught this passage many times. Um, I was just thinking that uh, <clears throat> he told his disciples in verse 22 uh, to prepare and get into the boat and go with him to the other side. Mm -hmm. And I yes. would like to, to point out that if Jesus says we're going to go to the other side, we are going to go to the other side. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. We're going to get there. And so uh, the fact that they thought that they were going to perish in a storm tells me that they didn't take Jesus at his word. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to do is believe what he says and know that he's going to get us to the other side if he says we're going to go. Circumstances cause them to forget his promise. Mm, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the circumstance, you know, I kind of sometimes like to connect ideas. They were going through a storm. When I've been in conflict with somebody, it feels like a storm. But the remedy for, for all of us, be of good cheer. Jesus is with me. He's with, he's with you. And so that's the first place that I need to go. Now, let me connect those two passages together. I need to be willing to do the work, but when fear wants to redirect me somewhere else and when fear wants me to forget about the promises of God, I can, I can lose my peace. So I'm willing to do the work until suddenly it's challenging. The remedy is Jesus is with me. So I, I can be cheerful. And as Pastor John said, I need to remember what he has said. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. So just a few thoughts about conflict resolution. Uh, they might seem like a kind of a, a loose connection, but that's how my mind works. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, we have some questions. Um, let me read the first one uh, to you. Thanks for the questions. We're going to do our best to answer them. So we feel like we're in the boat now. We're yes. going to the other side. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> Adonis Jackson, this is the question. Uh, from, from I believe from a country YT. I'm not sure what that is. Maybe Devin can tell us what that is a little bit later. I'm sorry. Uh, from YouTube. Oh, YouTube. YouTube. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. We have we have our, our resident uh, professional here. <laughs> this is from YouTube. Thank you, Adonis. <laughs> Was Revelation written before or after the destruction of the temple? What evidence leads you to this conclusion? Go ahead. Okay, so uh, yes, it was written afterwards. It's commonly agreed that uh, the book of Revelation was written between the 90s and the, I mean, 90 and 100s. The temple was destroyed in the year 70. And unlike other books that mention the te temple existing, for example, in the book of Hebrews and the book of Matthew, we know that the temple was still standing before 70 but we don't have mention of this in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. The only reference would be in chapter 11, the first few verses when John is given a measuring stick to measure the court, or the, uh, yeah, the court of the Gentiles. And um, this tells us that there will be a, another temple in the future. Um, the, the second temple was destroyed in the year 70 by the Romans. 
After that, since then until today, there has not been a temple there in Jerusalem. And so because of the prophecy in Revelation chapter 11, and what Daniel tells us in chapter 9, Jesus agrees with Daniel in Matthew chapter 24, and then Paul in Thessalonians tells us that there will be another temple when the uh, man of abomination goes in and he uh, pro proclaims himself to be God and to be worshipped as mm -hmm. God in the temple. So we're anticipating another temple, but no, when the book of Revelation was written, there was no temple at that time. There is a line of thinking called preterism, and uh, mm -hmm. the brothers and sisters that embrace the idea of preterism believe uh, that everything was completed. The book of Revelation speaks of everything that was completed by the year 70. And so they view the book of the Revelation as a historical book. And uh, we, would, we would disagree with that. Um, don't see the connection there. Um, it is interesting, and I know that John has been to Israel many more times than I have, about the excitement about people preparing to build a new temple. Just mm -hmm. can you share a few words about that? Mm -hmm. Temple yeah. Mount Foundation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, uh, <clears throat> that's their plan. They have everything together. Uh, they've uh, reconstructed all of the uh, furnishings of the temple, trained the priests. They are... Um, clothing? The clothing, it's all prepared. Uh, there's news about the red heifer that comes every once in a while. Everything that's needed because the Jews, in order to be true Jews, in order to practice their religion correctly, in, offer to, in order to offer atonement for their sins, they need the temple, they need to, be the, to, to do the, the sacrifices there. And without the temple, they're unable to do that. And so there's this great push within Judaism, especially Orthodox Judaism, to have the third temple there. And, um, and so it's, it's on the heart of every... Jew, and that's their prayer. They dress in black today. I'm dressed in black, but not because of this. But the Jews dress in black because they do not have their temple. And once they do have the temple standing, then they'll go back to normal, colorful clothing. Because right now they're mourning. I know. I know. There's been efforts to make uh, Passover sacrifices on the southern steps. Right? Has that been? Have they been successful at that? Yeah, I've seen that not on the southern steps, but in other areas surrounding okay. the, the old city. Okay. Uh, wanting to do that to bring back this, and so that's just an evidence that they're really needing to have the temple uh, sacrifices reinstituted. Yeah. Yeah. So we share that with you just to say that there's a trajectory, there's energy, there's interest, there's people that are applying themselves to that. Uh, some of them not even born-again Christians yet, the Jewish, the Jewish people. And yet uh, Paul tells the Thessalonians that there will come a man uh, who will claim to be God, uh, not only be against the Christians and the Jews, but against Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Buddhists, everybody. He's going to say, I am God exclusively and you have to worship me. And that will happen. That's, that's what Jesus called the abomination of desolation. And that will can only happen when the temple is rebuilt. And so we look to the future uh, rebuilding of a temple. And so I hope that that helps. So I um, wake up every morning, look at the news to see if the temple can reconstruction has started. It could happen during our time, probably will happen during the time of the tribulation. We will probably be taken out by that time. And it could be many times uh, I think about this is that's the that's the um, catalyst, the catalyst to bring peace between uh, the Jews and the Arabs. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, ushered in by this uh, man of uh, perdition, this man who is going to um, deceive the entire world, deceive Jews, and uh, that very well could be the, yeah, like you say, the catalyst to do this. It's interesting, from what I've read, the Pope and uh, some Islamic leaders are, are kind of 
creating a worship center. I forget what Middle Eastern country it's in. Do you recall? Mm, no. But they're anyway, they're, they're seeking to kind of establish some kind of ecumenicalism. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that the Temple Mount is so hotly contested, mm -hmm. really, we believe, because it's a spiritual battle, mm -hmm. because, because that third temple of the Jews is going to be rebuilt. And right now it is uh, under the control of, of the Islamic faith. And so, mm -hmm. uh, but there is apparently room for a third temple to be built on that site. Uh, who better, and I say this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, who better to help that be established than, than the world ruler, mm -hmm. the man of sin, the mm -hmm. Antichrist. And so that very well could be mm -hmm. the thing that really, if he can broker that deal, wow. uh, he's going to have a lot of followers. Right. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah, good. Well, thank you for that question. Uh, next question from YouTube, Donald McCord. Uh, great question. Will we experience time in heaven? Revelation 6.10 says this. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. So is there time in heaven? Well, um, God lives outside of time right now. Mm -hmm. And so there, the, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And, and, and this is way beyond our ability to comprehend as human beings. Mm -hmm. But it's all finished in his mind. As humans, we live on a chronological, literal timeline that has a beginning. The book of Revelation tells us time as we know it will end. Uh, what I see in the book of the Revelation is that it, that's during the uh, seven-year tribulation period. And so chronological time, the timeline is still in place. So from the human perspective, mm -hmm. time is still ticking away. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the tribulation, maybe you can pick it up from there if you have any thoughts on that. Well, I was going to just say that John many times writes in the book of Revelation, giving us types and symbols and sim symbol sim symbology that we might understand as humans. And uh, so he'll put this into terms that we might be able to understand. But of course, when we um, talk about this in scriptural, biblical and in divine terms, we know that God is not limited by time and time will cease to exist in heaven. Yeah. I, I read an analogy once from a pastor who said regarding, regarding us and time and regarding God and time, if you're standing uh, on the street, watching a parade, you see the beginning, the middle and the end. So you only see a part of it at one time, but God is up in the blimp. He's up above and he sees the beginning, the middle and the end all at the same time. So, um, Good question. Sure, we give a definitive answer, but um, what what that verse does certainly uh, speak to us about was there was a there was a willingness among those who had lost their lives because they were following Jesus, and they were looking for the justice, the the, the righteous judgment of God uh, to to avenge them, and so uh, God promised to, to do that. Um, the Book of the Revelation shows some things work, being worked out. In a process, uh, systematically, uh, the the, inten the uh, intensity of things increases as we work our way through the book. And so oftentimes the response to those uh, saints uh, is not yet, not yet. And so um, there's some, some idea. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, too, that uh, in the book of Revelation, it talks about silence in heaven for a period of half an hour. That's true. That's true. Uh -huh. And so... Um, <clears throat> Some people use that as the proof text, mm -hmm. Bill, that women will not be uh, there. Oh, in boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm sorry, ladies. We're going to end our transmission now. <laughs> <laughs> Silence in heaven from John's perspective, because John is, John is on earth receiving revelation of things eternal.
So there is somehow probably some kind of breakdown in the, mm -hmm. in the human language. Mm -hmm. And so um, as I have been taught in, in studying and reading the book of Revelation, keep the main thing, the, the main, main thing. thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but it's a good question. It's, it's, it's a worthy question. We're going to go on. Let's um, this is from YouTube. Also, this is from tunnel banan 23. Will people in countries like China, Saudi Arabia and North Korea go to heaven if they aren't Christians because it is illegal. Hmm. Let, me, let me read that again, make sure I understand. Will people in countries like China, Saudi Arabia, and North Korea go to heaven if they aren't Christians uh, because it is illegal? I think the question may be, Bill, they haven't had the opportunity to hear the gospel because it is illegal to oh. preach the gospel in those countries. Will God um, <laughs> judge them because of that? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm here in, in Cajamarca, Peru, teaching the book of Romans right now. And mm -hmm. Romans chapter 1 and, and 2 uh, speaks about God's uh, testimony to mankind. That in chapter 1, that he reveals himself through creation. Uh, you know, the things that are, that are seen. The heavens declare the glory of God. Um, the earth is his handiwork. Um, you, can look at, you can look at creation through the microscope, through the telescope, <laughs> um, everywhere that you look has the, the, the fingerprints of God, if you will, on it. And so Paul says to the Romans in Romans chapter one, that his, that his, oh my goodness, I can't remember it now. His divinity and his, what is it? Got the good. Let me look. Mm -hmm. Anyway, creation bears witness to, to the existence of God. Let me, I want to get the wording just right. Let me find it here. Uh, Romans 1.19, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, can we see God with our eyes? No. But does he have qualities that can be seen? He has, yes, he has qualities that yep. can be seen. Mm -hmm. His eternal power and his divine nature. So, so creation reveals the power of God and the divine nature of God. It doesn't reveal everything about God, but it reveals those things. Secondarily, Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 2 that uh, God has written, if you will, his, his holy word upon our hearts. Mm -hmm. He compares the religious uh, critics um, uh, of those who would criticize those in chapter one uh, with those who have the word of God written on their hearts. Now, uh, basically I interpret that as having a conscience. They know what's right and wrong. They, they would embrace the second tablet of, of the 10 commandments about how we are to treat our fellow man. Conscience comes from God. Uh, my wife and I, we have eight grandchildren. We catch them doing naughty things. Somehow they know that they're naughty. We haven't told them that they're naughty, but before they do it, they look around to see if anybody's watching. <laughs> we never did it, but our grandkids do. I do it. <laughs> so God has revealed them. My, question, my answer is this. God has revealed himself through creation and through conscience. Um, so, and then Paul goes on to say, so that men are without excuse. So even if the preaching of the gospel is without, or is, is restricted and outlawed, uh, in some countries, God has left himself a witness. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, uh, man can respond and receive some degree of saving light. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that? I have a story. Oh, good. Yes, please. Uh -huh. please. Yeah, I think there is. Um, so uh, 
we hear in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. And um, we have an interesting story here in Peru. Uh, during the period of the Inca, when the Inca would worship the sun god Inti, and they would offer human sacrifices to him. Well, there was an Inca. His name was uh, Pachacutec. And Pachacutec uh, was sitting on a mountaintop and uh, worshiping Inti, the sun. And um, something happened. A cloud came and covered um, <laughs> uh, Pachacutec. And he thought about it. And he said, I don't know how brilliant my God is if a mere cloud can cover his, his majesty. Mm -hmm. And he thought about it. And Inti, every day, had the same route. He would rise in the east, he would set in the west, and he would never vary. And so he began to think about it. My God is, uh, is limited. And he realized, too, that when Inti set in the afternoon, he had to run all the way to the other side to get up in the morning to rise in the east. And he said, my God is always on the run. He never rests. Yeah. And so um, Pachacutec began to wonder, maybe we're worshiping the wrong God. He went back to the founders or to the elders of the, of the people, and he said, have we always worshipped Inti, or uh, is there another God that we used to worship? And they said, well, we did used to worship Viracocha. And Viracocha is um, known as God the Creator, but he is so holy, he is so pure, that we stopped worshipping him and we started worshipping Inti, his creation, because we are unworthy to to come wow. close to him. And so they had that right. They had that right. They had that right. Yeah. Yeah. So Pachacutec, he started worship, he started worshiping uh, uh, um, Viracocha once again, writing psalms to him and songs to him that they say the parallels David's psalms to uh, in, in in the book of Psalms. Mm -hmm. And so but he was stuck with the predicament because they had offered human sacrifices so many um, years to uh, to Inti, how was he going to explain to the people that they were worshiping the wrong God? Oh. The Lord revealed this to him, and uh, it was about that time that the Spaniards came, and they brought the message of, uh, well, they could have brought the message as missionaries, <laughs> salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and that Jesus is the son of Viracocha, the, wow. the uh, God, the creator. Wow. And if they would have thought that, I think the Inca Empire would have readily embraced Christianity, repented of their sins, and came to the Lord. Yeah. But unfortunately, the Spani Spaniards came in conquest of power and yeah. gold and things like this. Missed opportunity. Yeah. Missed opportunity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we, um, <clears throat> um, God is able, I hear in many countries, uh, especially in the Middle yes, East, yes, yes. where the Lord reveals himself, mm -hmm. himself through um, angels, apparitions, Dreams, uh, dreams yeah. uh, mm -hmm. revealing himself. So God is faithful. This is what we can count on. God is faithful to uh, reveal himself to a simple man and uh, doesn't need missionaries. No. He doesn't need angels. He doesn't need anything. He is able to do this. And yeah. so he can speak to, to man's heart. And so God is right in his judgment. Yeah, he, he did it quite well with Paul. To yes, Saul of Tarsus, that's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. You know, as I'm reading this question, too, just in case we misunderstood it, um, if it is asking that people who decide not to become Christians um, mm. because it's illegal and they're in, perhaps in fear for their lives mm. and or you know loss of property or want to protect their family or something, but don't follow Jesus because it's illegal, 
uh, will they go to heaven? Um, no, they won't. Um, following Jesus is going to cost all of us something. And there are many Christians today, and uh, I used to follow Voice of the Martyrs quite frequently. I actually got to meet Richard Warnbrand once. And uh, they have had reports over the years about the many, many Christians that are still killed uh, every day. And so um, it's going to cost you something. So hopefully we covered both sides of that question. So I can just add to that. Jesus uh, told his, his disciples in, uh, in uh, verse 8 of chapter 1 of the book of Acts, he says uh, that God will give us power to be his uh, witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. That word uh, witness is the word martyr. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Jesus died and Paul was put to death and all of the disciples. And um, throughout history, Christians have died because of their faith. Yeah. Uh, why wouldn't we be tested in that area yeah. and also be willing to show that we are willing to live and to die for Jesus? Yeah. And um, so really outside of Western Christianity, it's the norm. People yeah. are dying yeah. often because of their faith. Yeah. And Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. Mm -hmm. But if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father in heaven. And yeah. so this is, uh, this is one of the challenges that we have as believers. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to encourage you too. Um, a great book, um, Fox's Book of Martyrs, yeah. uh, that talks about the, the saints of, of the history of the church um, who are willing to give it all. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. That book we're offering, not offering, but we're requiring for our students to read in our upcoming churches. Oh, good, mm -hmm. good, good. It's a, it's a terrific, it's it's a terrific a book. Christian classic. Yeah. Every Christian should read it. Yeah. This is from YouTube. Ann Brown, do you think it's okay to decide to change to another church if you see it as not being led properly or not growing? Mm -hmm. Well, um, that's a big question. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> leadership is, is something that is given by God to not to the majority, but to the minority. And so church has never been a democracy or anything like that. And so... Mm -hmm. Um, for instance, I don't know how to, um, you know, take care of my children like a mother does because I haven't been given those gifts. I take care of our children like a father. We have adult children now, but that's just the example I want to use. Uh, pastors and leaders have been given a unique calling, a unique, a unique understanding, mm -hmm. and a very unique responsibility. And they may lead the church in directions uh, that the congregants don't understand. And because they don't understand, they wouldn't agree with. And so uh, I would go very slowly about the idea of the church is not being led properly. Um, and I say this very, very respectfully, uh, but according to who? And, mm -hmm. Now, if we can, if we can discern mm -hmm. that there's uh, ungodly practice happening, mm -hmm. uh, obvious sin and those kinds of things, absolutely, I wouldn't stick around. Mm -hmm. I would respectfully go to your pastor and just say, Pastor, God bless you. Uh, our, our family needs to believe these are the reasons why we think what's happening here isn't a godly thing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm sure Pastor John and myself, we both had people leave the church simply because they disagreed with the leadership. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes we can't uh, explain everything. It's not that we have secrets or anything, but it's just like uh, leading a church is a unique calling. And so people don't always understand. Maybe God's given us faith to do something uh, that, that frightens them. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they're afraid to to follow that lead, if you will, because they're frightened. God hasn't given them the faith to, 
to step out. He's given us the faith. So not trying to defend pastors here, but there are two sides to that coin. Mm -hmm. So uh, if it's not growing, um, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't worry about that. Right. The question I would ask is, are you growing? Yeah. <laughs> Um, if that was the criteria for leaving a church, um, it, that criteria wouldn't work in many parts of the world today because mm -hmm. Christians meet in secret. Mm -hmm. You know, they're happy to get 10 people together and they'll get 10 people together for years. Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't think I would use that for criteria. Mm -hmm. The health, the health, the spiritual health of the church would be more important. Any, any other thoughts? I was going to say, if we were using growth as criteria, we could look at the Mormon church and say, wow, God is blessing yes, us. Yes, exactly. And we can't yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have been to many churches, especially in the Middle East, mm -hmm. that they're very small, like you yeah. said, uh, small groups of people. Um, I had a thought, but I forgot it, Bill. It must not be in the of the Lord. Okay. Well, maybe it'll circle back. <laughs> okay. Jeanette Nelson asks this question. It doesn't say where she's writing from. How do we forget people who have no remorse, act, and act exceptionally cruel? How can the prayer of Jesus forgive them? They don't know what they do. Help us in learning how to forgive. Great question. Mm -hmm. um, when I see Jesus hanging on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Does that mean they were saved? No, it doesn't mean that. They would need to repent, and they would need to accept Christ as their Savior. In my understanding, and John, Pastor John and I have never talked about this, so we might nuance it differently. But I think that Jesus was presenting those sinful people before the Father the best way that he could in the most favorable light. Father, Father, may they come to you for forgiveness. May they, may they have that in their hearts sometime in the future. They don't understand what they're doing. May they find forgiveness in you. That's kind of how I read it. I don't, I don't see that Jesus was granting them forgiveness because um, in regards to, I, I'm, this is a little bit complicated, forgiveness I, I feel is sometimes like a transaction. One person does this, and in order for the transaction to be complete, the other person has to respond. I can extend forgiveness to you. I can have forgiveness in my heart to you and be ready to talk to you the moment you come to me. But on your end of the, of the equation, have you received forgiveness yet? No, you haven't. So forgiveness needs to be offered, and there needs to be a readiness to offer forgiveness, but forgiveness must be received. So what can we do? Uh, Jeanette, be ready to forgive. God has forgiven you. If you're a Christian, God has forgiven you. And I always talk to myself about this. God, you know, if people have hurt me, I've hurt the Lord more. And he has forgiven me. That's right. So I need to be ready to extend that forgiveness. Whether people receive it or not, I, I can't control that. Right? <clears throat> Paul says in the book of Romans, as far as you're concerned, live at peace with all men. And we do all that we can to live at peace with men, um, humbling ourselves, confessing to them, apologizing to them. These are things that are good. They're wholesome. That's what we want as believers. So it's up to the other person, however, if they want to um, receive your forgiveness, if they want to uh, forgive you. And so we can't oblige people to do that. No, but we can take the position of, I've been forgiven so much, yep. how can I not be ready? Mm -hmm. And that also puts you in a position of being praying for that person so that when you run into them, your heart is ready, but many times their heart is ready. Mm -hmm. And reconciliation comes quickly. Uh, if their heart isn't ready, they'll, they'll see that your heart is ready, and God can really use that. So 
relationships is about remembering our relationship with the Lord. He's forgiven us much. Mm-hmm. So, If I can mention, too, we have a devotional time in the mornings. We're reading through the book of Philemon today. Uh, Philemon had a slave who left him and probably ripped him off on, uh, to boot. And Paul was able to lead this man to the Lord, Onesimus. And um, Paul had to uh, convince uh, Philemon to forgive him mm-hmm. and to not consider him now as a slave, but a very useful uh, brother yeah. now in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so Paul was very cautious and very convincing in his uh, epistle to Philemon. Uh, He was expected to be obedient, Mm -hmm. and so it's interesting, the word obedient. I think that that fits in wonderfully with your theme of revolution, resolution, conflict, conflict resolution, is is, um, you need to do what is right. Paul was encouraging Philemon to do what is right. I could could use my position as a a, uh, Apostle. apostle and command you to do this. But that wouldn't be from your heart. No. I want it to, to happen here. Mm-hmm. You forgive him. Look for restoration. Look to be restored and, um, and enjoy your brother because he's going to be with you for all of eternity. Yeah. I read something somewhere that said, never look for justice in the world. No. no. It's not going to be here. Mm-hmm. That's true. But if I compare, once again, my sins against mm-hmm. God, and, and he's forgiven me so much, how can I not forgive? Mm-hmm. So I need to be ready. That's right. Char Annan, this question comes in. Is it normal for a pastor to regularly call church meeting whenever someone leaves for whatever reason and instruct his congregation to have nothing to do with the person who left? Well, it sounds like, Char, that you may have been through a tough situation, and we are sorry to hear that. Uh, it's normal. I wonder if you mean is it regular? Is it something that should happen uh, frequently? It, it sounds a little bit like you're saying that. Um, it should only happen when it's necessary. And um, there's a process that we read about in Matthew chapter 18, of course. If your brother sins against you, go to him and you want to win your brother. If he rejects you, uh, you take two or three witnesses to establish the fact that if he rejects them, then you tell it to the church. Mm-hmm. And then the church's responsibility is to go to him and try to win him back, to reason with that Christian that is so far stubborn. If they reject that witness of the tes- that testimony and that urging of the church, then it says to treat them like uh, an unbeliever, like a tax collector. How do we treat unbelievers? Mm. With the love of Jesus. Mm. Try to win them to Christ. So um, there is a time when Paul said to the Corinthians um, that he had to put a man out of the church. And he used the phrase, uh, hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And that, yeah, those are strong words. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so that that man would be outside of the blessing of the church, outside of the blessing of fellowship. Mm-hmm. Um, with an unbeliever, um, you don't have, for instance, if somebody had to be put out of the church, I wouldn't ignore them when I went to the, to the grocery store. But I also wouldn't enjoy a worship time with them or communion time with them and act as if nothing is wrong because something is wrong. Uh, there's some, you know, obvious sin. There's some unrepented sin that apparently has become quite well known. And so if somebody does need to be put out of the church, and I've had to do that before. Uh, in our in our case, fortunately, thank God, uh, the church reached out to the offending man, and he came back and was restored, and it was beautiful. But I don't think we should ignore them. But also, we shouldn't pretend like everything's okay, because it's not okay, right? 
God wants to discipline them. And so they kind of need to feel it. Uh, I think sometimes we might be cushioning people too much. Uh, if they need to feel it, it's not because we're angry. It's because they need to feel it. I think church discipline is one of the most difficult things for a pastor to have to do. And uh, I really like what you said, Bill, that we're always looking to restore this person. And I'd like to read from Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Paul says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, and this is the word I want to highlight, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we have to go to those tough situations where we have to let the entire church know. Yeah. I've had to do that a couple of times to warn the congregation of a possible woof among yeah. them. Uh-huh. And, uh, <clears throat> and then also to produce this fruit of or the repentance that they need to, uh, to exemplify. Um, but I think it's rare that we would have to do that. Yeah, it's not, it shouldn't be frequent. Right. I would be concerned if it was frequent. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to treat a, a brother who's in sin like 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 he's a wolf. Right. He's a wayward brother. Mm-hmm. But there are others, and this is a very good point that Pastor John is making. There are times when we just say, you need to avoid this person. He's going to do damage to the church. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a delineation there that we need to be able to notice and understand. So hopefully that helps. We're kind of moving a little bit quicker because the cell phone that we're using is running out of battery. But I have a... Uh, uh, I have a solution. Okay, we're gonna, Steph. We're gonna we're gonna be remedying the solution here. So, a question from TRW Trans World Radio three hundred and sixty Dawson Jacob: Does God ever run out of patience with us? Uh, I'm glad He hasn't with me. <laughs> is it possible to backslide so far that forgiveness is impossible? Is this the case with Esau? I want to stop committing sins I have been struggling with, but I can't, keem, I can't seem to stop going back to them. It feels like my repentance isn't real. Please help. And so your name is uh, Dawson. Dawson, God bless you. You care. You're, you, you don't like your sin. You're heartbroken about your sin. You want to live for the Lord. All of those are signs of the Holy Spirit working in your life. So when you say, does God... Uh, run out of patience with us. I don't see him running out of patience with you regarding this because you keep coming back.
Let me get that. Okay. Maybe you guys can get it. I would say you're not yourself. Um, let me see your name again. Gossip. I would think you should consider yourself a yourself. You're a Christian. Mm-hmm. And you're a human. Mm-hmm. And Christians struggle, human struggle, but your desire is to walk with the Lord. That desire comes from Jesus. That desire comes from the Holy Spirit. So uh, may the Lord help you, and uh, may you make some progress in these areas. And you might have to make some hard decisions. You might have to break away some from some friendships or one thing or another. Um, uh, it's in the right place, uh, but let the Lord lead you to the next level of commitment. That helps. How are we doing there, Stephanie? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not seeing anything from Devin, so I'm going to continue. From YouTube, Jesper Dahl asks this, when getting a new car, a phone or a gadget, etc., how can I protect my heart from worshiping it? Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm happy and excited to use the product, just not in a sinful way. Well, I'll send you my address. You can send it to me, and I'll use it. <laughs> and I'll send you my own phone. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good question. Yeah, we can be distracted by things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a nuanced thing. I mean, you know, the Christian life is is a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we are connected to Him via the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, how do you know when you're maybe ignoring a friend a little bit? Or if you're married, how do I know when I should pay more attention to my wife? Uh, well, she'll get my attention or the Lord will get my attention or uh, situations will, will show me that if I had been paying more attention to my wife, I could have helped her when I didn't and I was a little selfish with my time. Uh, you know, there, there's any number of ways that we can discover maybe that we're leaning in the wrong direction. And God is faithful to show you those things. Um, you know, also I want to encourage you, Jesper, that God loves you and he wants your heart first and foremost. Uh, I, I try to make a habit of not owning anything that I wouldn't be willing to give away. Yep. <laughs> so if you're not willing to give away the new phone or the new car or let somebody borrow it, that might be a bit of an indication that that thing is too important to you. Any thoughts? Uh, you know... Some people might have a phone or a car as a God in their lives, but there's other people who have other types of gods that we would consider <laughs> consider normal. Uh, for some people, their God is their belly. And mm-hmm. so food could be yes. uh, uh, interference, mm-hmm. uh, a relationship, a job, uh, money. Um, there are so many things yeah. that... They, that not only an iPhone or not only a car, but uh, we need to constantly guard our hearts that we don't not have this idolatrous attitude in our heart mm-hmm. that would turn us away from the Lord. So uh, a good assurance is when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he says, you're gaming too much or you're on your phone too much, too much time on the internet, spend time with me. I think that that's a good indicator that the Lord is calling you and you need to just set that aside, whatever it is, and just spend time with him. Jesper, if you ever catch yourself saying, you know, I should probably read my Bible more. Mm -hmm. That's a clue. That's the Lord. The Lord's Mm -hmm. tapping you on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. 
For more information about our ministry and how to grow in your relationship with Jesus, please visit EnduringWord.com.